Welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. This, I believe, is our sixth show. Um, today, we we don't have a guest, but we wanted to talk to Andy as our guest today. He is, as we said, a professor of Chinese history. And, uh, you know, China is obviously in the news quite a bit. And one thing that we realized going through our first five episodes was that, you know, we weren't utilizing some of the expertise that we have in the room. Tammy, with her great reporting on Korea, Andy with his scholarship on China, and you know I I I don't really have much expertise except in I don't know, like sports gambling and general, <laughs> general general degeneracy. I don't know like house flipping, but like uh, you know like maybe we can do an episode about that. But uh, so we, they're both with me right now. So uh, how are you guys doing right now? Good. How are you? Good, Tammy. Yeah, good. I baked focaccia. I'm great. Oh, wow. That, you did. So you, are you on this baking kit? <laughs> Not as much as you, apparently, but yeah, a little bit. No, I, I did. I tried one sourdough and it went badly and then I gave up. <laughs> like, is, there any, is there any sort of uh, secret to focaccia? No, it, it's like a lazy man's bread. You yeah, let I it rise never, in the fridge. Never really been a focaccia fan, I'll be honest. Oh, like, I don't quite get it. Like, what's, what's, yeah, what's the, point? the point? Isn't it super tough and, <laughs> yeah, what? and cold? Both of you guys? I would Andy. Yeah, what's the, <laughs> I don't understand the point of it. There are all these other breads in the world. The focaccia is one where I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really what? think I need any it of It looks this. pretty. And if you're in New York, like, it's in all the Italian delis. But This is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I would rather have a different type of bread in the Italian deli. I like Italian delis, but the one thing I don't really like is focaccia. I don't know. It's just oh like kind God. of. Oh, my God. It's like tough and greasy, and it's not particularly good. The farmers markets at Columbia always had these fancy focaccias with all these toppings, and they always look so good. And you bite them, they're just like, uh, just like a pile of flour in your mouth. It doesn't taste right. like anything. What? They fall apart. Yeah. You guys have had <laughs> terrible focaccia. This is fucking ridiculous. No, I actually don't believe there's good focaccia. Oh it's my like, god! It always, especially when it's cold. You know, like you get it in, in New York City. Andy, I know what you're talking about. I would go to like, uh, you know, when I was in grad school, I would go to uh, that yeah. the student center, and you know, they had that little, yeah, yeah. Uh, they had that little terrible food court, yeah, and yeah. yeah, they would have these like horrible sandwiches that were focaccia. First of all, they're cold and they fall apart, so you bite into them, and like the bread crumbles in half, everything falls down, and it's somehow greasy. It's it's it, anyway, Tim. I don't. I'm sure those are terrible focaccia good. descriptions. I will send you guys some. Um, oh, great. Well, that, that is a good segue. I think, you know, um, I I don't think we'll do this very often, but we have a very timely thing. And, you know, I, Tammy and I were uh, texting a bit with Andy, and I think Tammy has strong opinions on this. So I, want, <laughs> we, I think we should talk about it because uh, we are going to talk about Asian uh, and Pacific Islander American Heritage Month, which is uh, <laughs> this month. We should talk about the Allison Roman controversy. Um, and the attempted cancellation of her. And look, we'll do this very quickly because I don't think that either of us have anything to say. Or And Andy, I'm not sure if you have anything to say. Or if I don't you know, know what it Alice, is yet. <laughs> you, uh, do you know who Alison Roman is? No. Yeah, I didn't know until yesterday either, honestly. So, like, uh, Alison Roman is a, is a chef who's on, I guess, the New York Times channel, okay. um, their YouTube channel. And yesterday she was interviewed and she said something about Chrissy Teigen and Marie Kondo. And she said that... Uh, look, I'm just like doing my own thing. I think it's ridiculous. People just like blow up on Instagram or whatever, and then they suddenly have a product line, bam. 
And I think a lot of people got mad at her because they thought that she was singling out two Asian women or two, like, quote, women of color um, and saying that they were trying to monetize and she wasn't trying to monetize because she was authentic and they were just hustlers. Like, is that, Tammy, is that generally good sense of what the controversy was? I think that's about right. I just learned about this today. I saw a bunch of <laughs> tweets floating around hating on Alison Roman and was confused and then turned off my computer. So it was only by investigating page six today that I figured it out. But yeah, that yeah. seems about right. How, how do you how do you feel about it? Like, are you on are you on team Alison Robin or are you on team Chrissy Teigen, who we should say came out and like basically came out with a tweet that said, "I'm I'm really hurt by this, you yeah. know, and I'm dis I'm disappointed." And I liked Alison Roman, and it was like you could tell that Chrissy Teigen was trying the her best to make Alison Roman feel as bad as possible. <laughs> you know, like she was doing. It was like it was like this. Power, it was a power move by Chrissy Teigen on, on somebody who the three of us did not know existed before. Oh, yeah. I knew who Allison Roman was. I have cooked oh, her recipes. Know. Yeah. And maybe if you, you guys like did too, you would enjoy your focaccia more. <laughs> Do you like her recipes? She's like, all right. Uh, I, I, I might have okay. cooked her food before. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> she, what she, is... she does this thing called the stew. And it's like a curry type stew. And what I realized recently or yesterday was that I have had the stew. Okay. And it was pretty, uh, you know, it was pretty good. Yeah. The person who made it did a good job. It was like, I, I enjoyed it. I was like, wow, this is delicious. Um, <laughs> it's just one dish called the stew that she's famous for? Yeah. I bet you've had it. I like stew. <laughs> like, so I wouldn't be yeah. against yeah. it. It's like a curry chickpea stew, yeah. stew with like some green stuff in it it's, and a lot of lemon. It's pretty good. What is, what is Chrissy Teigen? Why do we care about her? She's a model. She married John Legend. Yeah, I think we're supposed to care. Yeah, I think we're supposed to care because she tweets about how she hates Trump and she's Thai. I don't actually care. I also don't care about Marie Kondo, except I think she's an incredible hustler. Respect. Yeah, I mean, Kondo is like, Kondo is like, yeah, we could go off on Kondo. I don't, I'm not going to defend her as some like woman of color. No, I don't, I could care less, but I think she's like magnificent as someone who will just sell you any shit. (laughs) <laughs> she was well, like, isn't yeah. isn't Chrissy Teigen that too? Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I think so. And you know, I <laughs> I also think that generally hustle shaming sucks. You know, like and with Chrissy Teigen, Tammy, I really do think that Chrissy Teigen is one of these people like AOC. This is my big AOC. Like, Chrissy whoa, Te- okay, go on. Whoa. Yeah, I have, I have <laughs> Where an AOC Chrissy. I have an AOC Chrissy Teigen theory, which is that like basically there's like. Uh, maybe 45 to 70 haters on Twitter who hate AOC and Chrissy Teigen, but everybody else loves both of them, you know? <laughs> I see. And somehow, somehow the AOC and Chrissy Teigen supporters or haters have somehow convinced themselves that everybody hates Chrissy Teigen and, and AOC. No, um, AOC drives people crazy. She yeah, drives- because you're in the 45 people <laughs> on Twitter who think that AOC is bad. Everyone else thinks AOC is great. No, you know, except, no, I, I love I mean, her. Except, he likes her. Oh, you do. <laughs> but okay, she drives. Okay. She drives like the people at the post and in the Daily News. They can't. Oh, you don't know I what to not, do with their like weird libidinal like <laughs> hatred, love. Not, <laughs> not conservatives. Not conservatives. I'm talking about you know progressives. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Sure. A lot of a lot of the fights that Asian Americans kind of pick are like rich Asians versus rich white people. And, Pretty much, yeah. And kind of framing that as like a civil rights uh, civil rights march. Um, like I said, it is Asian and Pacific Islander American Heritage Month. I, that is the sound of me reading those words off of my screen because <laughs> it's such a clunky name of a month. 
I don't know. Something that I've noticed is that with all these hate crimes going on, right? And like, I think that we can put, like, we don't want to minimize any of this stuff because, uh, you know, there are videos that come out, there are cases that come out that are truly horrifying and that I think will scare a lot of families for really good reasons, you know? And uh, I have been a little bit interested to see how things how, how the Asian American community, and community meaning mostly like academics, media people, upper middle class people, uh, the sort of, you know, professional managerial class to, you know, use a phrase that I don't particularly like to use, but how they would respond to it. And it seems like there's two things, right? The first is um, the, there's a technocratic response, which is that they do all these like data things, you know, where have you seen all those data collection things they do where they're like, oh, yeah. they put out maps and stuff like that. Like mm -hmm. that, that's, that's, I'm sure that's helpful and useful, but it doesn't. And the second one is that there just seems to be like 5,000 panels about Asian American violence now. Yeah. Um, my guess, though, my beef with a lot of this stuff uh, is that a lot of times uh, I wonder if they if these people are actually interested in trying to explain why racism, ha you know, these incidents happen, why racism is a thing. Because um, then when you try to explain it, then you get into all sorts of different um, debates, let's say, about how to respond to it. But if the explanation doesn't have to even, if you don't even need an explanation, and the assumption is like the white people are racist in their bones and they're born this way, and um, then I don't know, then you just kind of get stuck in this, you get stuck in this uh, cul-de-sac of like, don't be racist, like, and just kind of like shaming people. I think the other thing too is it can be really narrowing in terms of like what the scope of your concern is around like xenophobia because ostensibly we're talking about xenophobia in the discussion of these hate crimes and harassment incidents. Um, I did attend, I've been going to a lot of webinars and I was on like a webinar conference um, out of CUNY for uh, in celebration of May Day and the Columbia immigration historian May Nye was there and I really love her work. And I think one thing she did really well in kind of squaring this was to talk about you know, how this is like part of the same thing that produces, like structurally at least, you know, immigration detention and abuse and policies of closing the borders and things. So I think if it can kind of like go, you know, be sort of like expanded out to these larger structural discussions, that's interesting. But if we're just going to stay stuck on like Asian American progress and questions of like our own sort of like insular comfort, I'm not so interested in it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think that a lot of them do try and ground themselves in a historical question, right? So in every single one, you'll hear, hear the phrase, yellow peril stands sure. with black power, right? Which is a slogan from the uh, 70s, I think late 70s, early 80s, right? Um, I, I don't think it's from the late 60s movement. And it's, you know, this idea that, that, that we have more in common than, than, we, than we have that divides us, right? And the, there's a lot of discussion about Walter, uh, I'm sorry, there's a lot of concerns <laughs> uh, about Vincent Chin, right? There's a yeah, lot of conversation yeah. about that. There's a lot of conversation about the Exclusion Act. Sure. All this stuff is foregrounded in history, but I mean, I don't know, like, I, do you think that that history is useful at all? I know that's such an abstract question, but Andy, like you as a historian, do you think that is an interesting way to like leverage history and do you think it's an effective way for people to think about like uh, this rise in xenophobia? Yeah, I do think it's potentially useful. I think the thing that I guess what I'm trying to say is Asian American discourses about racism never stop to think about what is the role, what is the position of Asian Americans in the United States historically and in the present? 
And it's almost always as this economic threat. Uh, there was the Chinese workers, obviously, behind the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 19th century. Vincent Chin, who was Chinese, was you know misrecognized as a Japanese automobile worker, and that was about uh, fears of you know Japanese car companies overtaking American car companies. Uh, and in general, we you know we all know the statistics like average income wealth, uh, average household wealth, like Asian Americans are number one in this country. Um, and I'm not, I say none of this is like excuse racism. It's like, oh, of course workers are going to take it out on us. But I think that that has to, in all these discussions, you have to acknowledge what is the economic and social position of Asian Americans in this country? What do they represent mm -hmm. to the people who are attacking them? And how is that different than, let's say, black or Latin American people in this country? who are kind of on the opposite end. Yeah, white people don't feel yeah. economically threatened by Asia, by uh, by Latino and black people. I think that's true. I'm not sure. I know, Andy, that the statistic that you are saying is correct, that Asian Americans on average make more money than white families. I don't know if white people feel economically threatened by Asian Americans, but I think that, that one thing that has happened, and you know, both of you, please, this is just my theory, So, and I... I'm just talking out at the side of my head right now. But I, I, I think that what it is is that white people feel a lot of economic uncertainty even before, you know, whatever Great Depression we're about to crash into. Um, and that they needed some sort of explanation, right? Mm -hmm. And that the explanation is that, look, some sort of, like, quote, invisible enemy or whatever is coming in mm -hmm. and ruining the United States economy. What is it? We can't figure it out. We used to be the greatest nation on Earth. What happened? And I think that what everybody has agreed it was right now is China. Yeah. You know, like I don't think it's necessarily Asian Americans. I think it's just China. Right. And that a lot of that frustration is actually leveraged onto Asian Americans. But I would say that not as much as I think some of these panels and some of the professional Asian Americans on Twitter are saying. Why not? I just don't think it's that bad right now. You know, like I think that there are a lot of bad incidents and some of them are filmed and that makes it look that bad. Oh, I see. But, what do, you're you, right but now. do you feel like the the place of like an Asian American and Andy, it might be a little bit different because you know, like you are uh you know, like you are from Chinese background, Tammy and I are not, but like, you know, to somebody who's racist walking down the street, I don't think right. they can tell the difference. But no, like no. um <laughs> I don't know. Do you feel like it's that bad right now? <laughs> yeah, I can. I, can. I, I say I can, but I'm wrong occasionally. But like, uh, I, do you feel like it's that bad? Like, we're all locked up in our houses, so it's hard to set, t tell. But like, do you think that it's like an emergency right now for Asian Americans? I think if go, if it goes to a certain extreme, we could be accused of like narcissism. Like the number one issue in the world yeah. is not getting called, uh, you know, chink while you know, some parts of this country are like everyone has COVID and the healthcare system isn't working. And totally. Like 30%, 30% of uh, people have no job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I agree. Like, I was reading some account by a Chinese American about how she was feeling like South Asians and Muslims must have felt after 9-11. And I was like, this is the most ridiculous comparison <laughs> I've ever heard of. Like, there was special registration. They were bombing the fuck out of countries. Yeah. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So I was They're, like, is this, what is this, like, ressentiment that Asian Americans are, like, kind of trying to manufacture in this moment? I don't know. That sounds no, really I, insensitive, I, but. It feels sincere, but I also feel like it is, like, a bit over the top, you totally. know? Totally. Like, the, like, the, like you said, they were, like, pulling them aside 
in every single airplane line and fucking strip searching them, you know, and yeah. burning down mosques until they start like uh, special screening Asians going into like a, you know, going into, I guess we can't go anywhere, but going into like a su- supermarket or something, they pull us aside and give us like some sort of like COVID test. I don't think it's really <laughs> comparable. And any, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? I th- yeah, I think just um, as like an experiment, it's, it's useful for people to just ask to, so I think in like in the 90s onwards, at least like all the, there's all this like activist academic talk that's like all oppressions are united as one like mm-hmm. patriarchy, racism, homophobia. Yep. This just gets, gets kind of repeated ad nauseum mm-hmm. in these circles. And uh, I certainly, you know, was 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 taught all this stuff. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it might just I think <laughs> what you guys are talking to is this tendency to blur and equate what Asian Americans go through with. Mm-hmm. What black people go through, what Latin Americans, what they go through in this country, what poor people go through in this country, and just say, like, it's all the same. It's all, or, like, Muslims, right? It's all the same, and to not think very hard about the distinctions as if that is the more progressive thing to do. And I don't know if I want to, like, wind up with a atomized view of the world, but it is kind of a useful exercise to say, like, well, how is the Asian American? To be specific, what is the Asian American experience? And is specifically it, is, is, the wealthy Asian American experience, right? right? And like yeah. the word Asian, I mean, I know Jay, you've you're, you're all, you've criticized this. Like the word Asian is like, why are we equating like Korean Americans with like Pakistanis? Just because, yeah. right? Just because like the United Nations decided they're part of one unit. <laughs> is that what it was? Is the United Nations or whatever like geo, geopolitical yeah, yeah, like? Yeah. The Rand McNally, the map right? maker. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, there is some shared experience, but like, let's not overdo it. And like, the only way they really, that we all have the same experience is if you cut off everything that happened from our parents' generation onward. Um, yeah. And, and, and like, really emphasize the American part and mm-hmm. completely de emphasize the part about um, where our parents came from, how we were raised, and what languages they speak. And, um, it's it's uh, what I radically de- ahistorical, dehistoricizing, right? And in a way, like very uh, American centric. Yeah, like, yeah, it, it, it's but, weird. But it is a thing. I mean, the Latino community struggles with the same thing, right? The creation of Latinoness, which isn't really a coherent thing in the same yeah. way. Um, but you know, I think the three of us probably are committed to some, you know, maybe turning that on its head, also in a class way, like. What if these panels, instead of trying to do the sort of seat at the table stuff that Jay was just describing, said, all right, it's whatever, it's API Heritage Month, there's like a lot of concern about these hate crimes, but you know what, actually like X percent of like all low wage, like Asian American workers are out of work right now. Yeah, and they'll and like they'll say that, but they then they'll I go know. on to talking right. about like Frank Frank Chin or whatever, you know, right. like and Maxine Hong Kingston, like and their <laughs> fight, you know, like right. it, it's it's just weird because it's like we're like I'm 40 years old now, and I think I've been paying attention to this for let's say like 15 years because I didn't care at all about it until I graduated from college, <laughs> and like it's been the exact same thing over and over and over and over again, you know, yeah. and it's the same talks and I've just come to the conclusion that there is a strange contradiction going on and you know Andy I think this speaks to what you were saying which is essentially that like it is a historical you know it is it does not have any sort of class analysis built into it it's this ability a desire to flatten everything down by using history and using these sort of signifiers that make you sound like you're considering all these things but really what you're saying is you're just saying you know uh, my oppression counts too you know 
And uh, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna assert that my oppression counts in any sort of way that makes anyone uncomfortable, you know. But like, how do I perfectly tailor this so that I can just say it to make myself feel better and to do a panel? I don't know. It's an extremely <laughs> cynical way to think about it, but that's just where I've landed because this stuff drives me so crazy, you know. Like, I I just don't understand what the compulsion is to keep doing these things. Like, who are they trying? Who are they talking to? Like, Andy, do you have any idea who these things are aimed towards? <laughs> like, who? Like I mean, who? yeah, I. You know, there's like there's a whole you know there's a whole body of literature called Asian American Studies that I considered going into for obvious reasons, and I have some of my best friends are in Asian American Studies, but <laughs> I've always been curious, like, what do they do when they study to do Asian American Studies? What do they? What? what how much can you talk about if you're not going to study Asia also? Yeah, because you know, like, like you said, it's like Chinese Exclusion Act, Frank Vincent Chin, internment, right? Like there's, yeah, you know, but yeah. but and and that stuff, and that and now coronavirus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's plenty. To, there's plenty to talk about, but then they're like they're, they're searching for stuff to talk about. But if you stay within the boundaries of the United States, then like you have no idea where these Chinese people came from in the first place. You have no idea where these Japanese people came from in the first place. I know. Place, right? So like when when I when I look at these panels and. I see the distribution of people. They always try and find the exact right distribution. You know, <laughs> there's always like one South Asian person. There's always one Pacific Islander who's always mad the entire time. You know, I feel like Pacific Islanders should secede from AAPI. You know, I don't mean to be prescriptive <laughs> towards them, but it's like they're not getting a good deal with the AAPI thing because all the East Asians just kind of think of them, of them as an afterthought, and That's the Pacific true. Islander people know that. You know, and and they I feel should like get they should their secede. own month. They have yeah, a they colonial should, relationship they, with the East Asians. They yeah. should secede and do their own month. Like, and you know, I, 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 I'm saying this half kiddingly, but I do think that you know, they do that. This sort of like a, this sort of diversity of politics that goes into it. I don't know. Like, is there any? Is there any sort of? Do you think it reflects anything organic? Do you think it reflects something that would have happened, or is it like an idea that is being enforced upon people who might not who might not actually believe it? Mm. I, I don't know. I've, I do a lot of stuff with the Asian American Writers Workshop, and I actually yeah. think there I've had very positive experiences of, like, using this analytic category. Okay, um, in what way? And part of that is maybe because it do, it doesn't fall into the, like, very facile thing that Andy was describing where there isn't any looking towards the origin countries, and there isn't any consideration of, like, the, the conflicts there. Um, like, one of the things that they do really well is, like, think about like trans-Pacific ideas of like literature and culture. And so you might have mixed panels where it's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm making this up, but like there could be like a Korean writer and an Indian writer and like a Pakistani writer, like all on the same panel discussing something sort of thematic in their books or like a Korean American, Mm. like colliding with like a Korean adoptee and like a Korean, actual Korean who comes. So, you know, I think there's different ways to kind of play with this that can be productive, Um, you know, and I don't think it's like being super dogmatic about like you have to belong to like these five countries in order to like lay claim to this identity. It's something kind of shifting that we can sort of play with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can I can see where that would be. Yeah, I can see in that in like literature where that would be actually very compelling. Do you feel like the people who are speaking and the people who are there at those workshops like do you think that they are that they that they're that they're almost curious about what this identity might mean, or do you think that they feel like they're part of an identity? 
I think some of the young people probably are like I was, where I was, like, in the 90s, like, going to protests against, like, those bad Abercrombie shirts, and (laughs) now, like, really (laughs) couldn't give a shit about that, and, and, like, and they're exploring something, you know, new and and more nuanced and interesting, so I, yeah, I think there's space for people to come and, and sort of think, like, well, what the hell is this, and why should I care? You went to Abercrombie shirt protest like that what was it they made like walk a china walking walk walk, something wall, like that yeah i sort of regret bringing wall. this up now but yeah it happened <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us a little more about it i'm not sure i want to <laughs> there were a lot of signs involved okay so annie this is time when we're going to grill you a little bit you being our chat expert and uh, <laughs> i don't think that there's any secret right now that the Democrat and the Republican parties are basically jar- are, are kind of like sparring to see who can be more anti-China, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, <laughs> which is going to make for a fascinating oh, election season. But, uh, you know, you and I and Tammy have been looking over these, you know, we've been looking over a couple of reports that have come out. And, you know, we've been seeing the discourse, we've been seeing a lot of the speeches, obviously that Biden ad that everybody got mad about. <laughs> and so, uh, I don't know, it does seem like there is a calcifying of opinion for lack of a better term and uh i want to read you this selection from the washington post and it's about polling um it says that polls show that americans are also blaming china a harris poll in early april showed that majorities of democrats and republicans thought china was not forthcoming about the virus while Republicans were predictably much harsher in both their views and in how to respond, anti-China sentiments were shared across the political spectrum. The Pew Research Center survey from March also found that anti-China views were shared across party lines. An economist YouGov poll from last week even found a plurality of Americans believe the coronavirus came from a lab with two-thirds of Republicans and nearly three-quarters of Republican primary voters in agreement. Um, this lab thing, right? Like, what do you make of it? Like, is it just, like, the thing that they're going to say for anti-China sentiment? Like, or do you think that there's actually something there? I actually think there might be something there, but it's going to, but now that's just, it's just going to get so stupid now because (laughs) it's very obviously Trump's strategy and he has no evidence. Uh, This, like, came out this week, like, Pompeo, I guess, was trying to say the, the, what's, is he Secretary of State? Yeah. Some some horrifying position. (laughs) Of power, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> was trying to say like there's all this great evidence and then he clarified actually i'm just like reading the cnbc like you are right like he has yeah. he has no inside information um <laughs> but even before it became like trump's default strategy i i think there was there were already some rumblings mm-hmm. it is quite a coincidence that this laboratory in wuhan does study these coronaviruses from bats that tend to only be in a different part of china um uh, for the the person, so it's like was the Wuhan Institute of Virology is the name, and the the the, the scientist her name is Shi Zhengli is like the one who will keep showing up in these articles. Um, I don't know what to believe. I mean, I think she's denied it, and she has all these international colleagues who, uh, what's the word, who like stand by her and, mm-hmm. and defend her, and so on the surface it seems like clear to me. I think that. What has happened in the last few weeks is, like, I think wet market is out. Like, so it's good we didn't call our podcast wet market. Or maybe it's back. <laughs> um, what do you mean it's out? They they banned it? No, I think it's not. It's rolled out. out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's, there's way too many cases, early cases, mm-hmm. that are separate from the wet market. Maybe the wet market was, uh, like, concentration. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Right, a super spreading event. 
But uh, I really, in my mind, I think it's like bat, bat laboratory or nothing at this point. Mm. You know, it's like bat laboratory or just like social spread. We don't, we have no idea. Uh, but just to get back to the Donald Trump stuff, I think they've they made it very transparent that this is going to be their message, and I think it's kind of depressing that no matter how much counter messaging there will be, those poll numbers will probably. Um, carry the day and uh, I don't know I guess the horrifying part is like the Democrats are looking at those polls and thinking like yeah yeah, we should really lean in make the Biden campaign lean into this anti-China thing I don't know I know. It's, so it's hard to look at 75% and I think it's something like 60% of Democrats think it was in a lab you know and I don't know I, if you asked me gun to head and said was it in a lab or not in a lab I don't know what I would say I said <laughs> maybe it's in a lab you know um, but <laughs> Um, why do you think it matters? Like, why does this? Why is Mike Pompeo walking around, you know, basically lying, saying he has this like, you know, briefcase full of evidence <laughs> when he clearly doesn't? Uh, it's why? Like why? Clippings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a banana in a sandwich. But like, what is the? What's the? Why do you? Why do you think it matters? Like, why do you think it matters if they release it from a from a if it fell out of a lab? Right. I don't think anyone is really saying they intentionally are poisoning the world, but like. You know, yeah. you know, like somebody like kind of dropped a vial of coronavirus and it got in their clothes <laughs> or or like, you know, like uh, they were in a wet market with a pangolin and a bat and somebody ate both of them. Like, what, what's the difference, do you think? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, they're trying to deflect it. They're trying to deflect responsive. There's obviously like if even if you take Trump's theory at face value that it came from this laboratory that's still, there's still all these holes of explanation. Their argument is, uh, you know, we both looked at this thing called, we all looked at this thing called, I'm calling it the O'Donnell Memo, uh, because yeah. it was written by this guy, Brett O'Donnell, who was a debate coach at Liberty <laughs> University. So I actually know this guy, cross paths with him. Um, I don't know if O'Donnell Memo's going to catch on. I, I've just been calling it that. And it's, it's pretty clear their strategy is to not only say it came from China, but also like portray some nefarious conspiracy that they are they hid it from the United States, they hoarded medical supplies, um, and then from there they go on to like China is like an oppressive society, society and the CCP is evil and blah blah blah. No we um, yeah. And yeah, you're talking yeah. about the the public relations memo that the GOP released right. to senatorial candidates, right? Yeah, so Politico had a story where this memo, this fifty seven page memo was leaked. Um, they have a link to it, so you can just Google and find it. Um, and the funny part is, uh, you know, it was written by this debate coach. If you look at actually close <laughs> at the memo, Jay, it looks like a debate file. There's like a front line and there's like a... I know, line. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> this is the most salient thing for Jay and Andy, the debate <laughs> yeah, connection. For the, yeah, for those who don't know, Andy and I both did policy debate <laughs> in high school. Andy did it in college, and uh, that's actually... How he and I started talking was mostly just gossip about debaters from 1998 to like 2003, like Steve Lahotsky of Lexington and stuff like that. It's, ex- it's extremely embarrassing. But um, yeah, like, I mean, you know, outside of that, Andy, what's in this what's in this memo that was sent out to Republican senators that seems to be part of like their strategy? Yeah. So the 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 the, the front line, as it were, the sort of bottom line is that. <laughs> The front uh, line. <laughs> I mean, there's the, three. There's three big. The two AC blocks say. <laughs> uh, there's three big sections. Section one is like makes all the major claims about the virus itself. The second section is like, uh, and this is why China in general is evil. Yeah. And I don't even. I don't even know what like want to. That's just like 
kind of changing the topic, getting this big, big ass debate about communism. Yeah. Um, and the third section is like, I don't want to touch either. It's about how the GOP is strong and the Democrats are weak. And I don't want to, you know, as part of our conversation with Wilfred, I don't want to like backslide into defending the Democrats. Yeah. Um, right. And, 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 and challenging the Republicans. But their big claim is uh, that the Chinese government suppressed this whistleblower, or the, to Chinese, the doctor, Li Wenliang, yeah. uh, that they hid all this information. So, like, let's say this scenario is correct, that it came from a laboratory and they punished this doctor, right? And the, the doctor punishment is not, is not controversial. There, that still doesn't explain, like, I think the Trump administration just wants you to jump from there to the conclusion that uh, there's nothing the Trump administration could have done. Yeah. When there's all this evidence that they waited at least eight weeks. So, like, worst or like the scenario that they're portraying is China waited three weeks and the Chinese government waited until January 21st, 23rd. Even if you use January 23rd as the starting point, it's another eight weeks until the US federal government does anything. Yeah. Right? So, three weeks, eight weeks, right? One, in one case, you have unclear information in China. In the other case, in the United States case, they have pretty clear information by January 23rd that it's a contagious coronavirus. Um, and there's also in reports now that um, actually the Chinese government told the CDC, who told like Alex Azar, who's what yeah. HHS, whatever yeah. that is, right? As early as January 3rd. January 3rd, exactly. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like all the evidence points to like Trump could have known if he wanted to know. As far back as January third, and now like I was, I was actually talking to another scholar. Who's like, if you actually look at the CD, the Chinese government reports um, about what they were saying in January, like the big point of contention is the Chinese government denied there was human to human transmission, and right. this is like why Taiwan is so heroic yeah. because they knew in South Korea, in Vietnam, yep, yeah, they all assumed blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. The Chinese reports are so if you read them like um, at face value, they are saying. There is no evidence yet that there's human-to-human transmission. And at some point, they even say, we are not ruling out. It's possible that there is human-to-human. So the most charitable interpretation would be, maybe the Chinese government was incompetent. Maybe they were slow to react. But uh, they were probably trying to figure out the science themselves. In January. In January, right? Mm -hmm. In the lead-up to January 23rd, which is when Mm. they really acted. Um, and it's and you know it's a new virus. They didn't they didn't know how it worked. And Taiwan and South Korea, Vietnam, they didn't have evidence. Well, maybe I think Taiwan might have um, at, at some point. But for the most part, they just kind of assumed yeah. there was human to human transmission. And uh, you know, I'm not saying the Chinese government was completely did everything correctly. Like if anything, they were probably incompetent. Um, they probably did want to cover it up. But why did they want to cover it up? Probably because they just want to keep the economy going, which is exactly what Trump is doing anyway. Right? Yeah, um, but I, it wasn't I, I an first conspiracy to infect Americans. I understand that. I understand attacking it from that standpoint, right? And Tammy, I want to know what you think about this, which is just like I understand saying that it's not Trump. Trump could have done more, right? But that's that is outside of like China could have done better, right? Um, Tammy, what do you like? What do you do? You, what do you make of this? The, the, to me, the most compelling part of all of this, and I think the thing that sort of made a lot of Chinese people mad, but also the world really mad, and gave them something to get mad about, was this doctor, right? Like the young thirty-four-year-old doctor, I believe he was thirty-four, um, who, who died after trying to alert people to 
you know, this new pneumonia that was going around. Like, what do you, do you think, like, do you, are you on the side of sort of saying that China tried the best they can and people are too mad over here? Or do you think that, like, generally the claims that are made in this O'Donnell report are actually somewhat correct in terms of China's, <laughs> China's response? I mean, I think, as Andy was saying, there's definitely things that China did wrong. And I think it's fine as consumers of news and, you know, journalists and academics to be questioning the statistics that they are giving us. Um, But the way that it's being utilized here is like so disingenuous and just mendacious that it can't, you can't really have like a logical debate over it. Like you can debate the sort of fine points of when China knew what. And of course they should have been more open with their people, but, you know, and I think the Chinese people themselves have like have like shown that and spoken up about that yeah um so yeah i think there was this moment in february where a lot of people were like oh shit is this like the turning point in china and that seems to be that seems to be gone Mm -hmm. because people have mobilized against like united states right-wing nationalism begets chinese right-wing nationalism for sure Mm. i mean that's even happening in in south korea i think where people are kind of like the U.S. is so full of shit, like, they've exposed themselves for what they really are, how embarrassing, and yay, Korean government. Uh, is yeah. that what they're saying? They're not just saying, are they mad at the U.S., or they're, or they just are laughing at the U.S.? Is that, is this just, is this, like, are, are these leftists that are, like, eight people, or is this the general, <laughs> are these right, are these right-wingers, like, who, who are these people? No, no, I think it's, it's quite broad that this is, the sentiment, I mean, obviously, it's not as stark as in the Chinese instance, because is it isn't the direct demonization, and the sort of, like, causal relationship is different, but, yeah, I mean, like, Moon, President Moon's ratings right now are, like, 75% or something, I mean, and it's basically yeah. entirely because of this sort of nationalistic pride, but that is also, like, in reality to the U.S.'s dismissal of Asia in this context. Yeah. What do you guys make of the Democrats' strategy? So it's not even that, you know, we could, like, object to it, like, oh, it's racist or whatever. It's just, like, it's illogical. It's not a winning strategy. Like, so their message is Trump is scapegoating China for his mistakes, but the reality is China is actually the bad guy still, but we're just going to... But we're just gonna say Trump like was weak on the China, weak <laughs> against China. What it's they're like, thinking. It's bad. There, it, it's bad messaging. T- you're like you're <laughs> there's on their too ground. many moves in it, right? Because it's <laughs> yeah. basically like it's like you, you Trump is saying X, but he doesn't really mean X. You know who means X? We do. And you're just like <laughs> yeah. Except except everybody thinks you're a bunch of namby pamby peaceniks. You know, like yeah. nobody like the right wing is always gonna be better at being like nationalistic and xenophobic. Like don't do that. You know, and even even if you think it's the right strategy and you don't care that it's immoral or whatever, which you know, like who cares? You know, at some level. But like if you think it's you're just not good at it. You know. Well, I wanted to ask you guys about the sort of Naomi Klein, other leftist type. I guess, like dystopian, utopian visioning, which is, to what extent is this a dress rehearsal for the climate catastrophe? And then, you know, could that be what it takes to bring us into true cooperation with China and other people, the sort of leftist internationalist vision? Let's try to be imaginative and not so scared. Like, (laughs) I'm looking for hope, guys. (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> when, you, when you said David B. Clyde, I thought that you were going to talk about like the shock doctrine and all the stuff that Cuomo's doing, oh. where he's bringing Bill Gates to reimagine the fucking oh New York God. City public school system and some like brain dead, you know, like middle manager from Google <laughs> to come and try and rebuild a new city. It drives me absolutely crazy. I, I wanted to, 
I was I think I was angriest seeing that than anything else during this whole thing because it was so inevitable. We knew the other shoe was going to drop. And Cuomo is like America's hero right now. It's got like 80% it's approval. It's so disgusting. I don't yeah. understand it. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's, like, I think that's the right question. Like, are we going to go the shock doctrine way or are we going to go this other way? And how, I think we're, you know, how do we do that? Well, the, it, that is the biggest question that is hanging over this entire thing, right? Which is just like, do we try and Green New Deal this or even right? a better idea than the Green New Deal? And can we f- marshal the forces necessary to do like a big Bernie style politics and get people back to work? Or are we going to have like, eight tech companies running the entire country and everybody working in wage slavery. Like, those are the stakes, I think. Pretty much. I don't know. And then with the internationalist dimension, I think, layered on top of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Uh, Um, But I'm trying to... I've been trying to think about Think More in happy terms this week. (laughs) Yeah. Like... (laughs) What do you think, Andy? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think the momentum now is shock doctrine. Um, But maybe it can get reversed, I think. I don't know. I kind of imagine. Remember Andrew Yang said you could take your thousand dollars and move to a house that's higher up. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of think. Kill I, me. I, I honestly kind of think that's where we're headed. Though. Those, those people with money and resources will live in like castles. <laughs> oh in the my sky god! The rest of us. I need that a drink. was my favorite of all the Andrew Yang answers. That was my favorite one because it was like <laughs> so he like he didn't even horrible. hesitate. He didn't even hesitate. Yeah. He just fired it up. He's like, move to higher ground. You know, my thousand dollars will help you. Just like, what, dude? You're just like, fuck Miami. 